You're listening to episode number five of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Dr. Philip Connor. Last week, the Pew Research Center in the United States released a very important study titled The Future of World Religions, Population Growth Projections 2010 through 2050. In this lengthy report of 245 pages, the subtitle of the document is Why Muslims Are Rising Fastest and the Unaffiliated Are Shrinking as a Share of the World's Population. Dr. Connor served as a primary researcher on this study and now is a missions pastor at Great Commission Community Church in Arlington, Virginia. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist, Dr. J.P. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.P. Just recently, the uh, Pew Religious Forum released a study entitled The Future of World Religions, Population Growth Projections 2010 through 2050. Uh, For the longest time, I've had great admiration uh, for Pew, and I know many of you folks that are listening today uh, have as well. Uh, They do very reputable work, and they are always on the cutting edge of things taking place not only within the United States, but also across the world. Uh, Today on Strike the Match, it is a great delight uh, to have uh, Dr. Philip Connor with us. Uh, Dr. Connor is the uh, missions pastor at Great Commission Community Church in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, However, he is a former research associate with the Pew Research Center in the United States, and he also was involved in uh, this study uh, that recently was released. It's a great opportunity to have some time to spend uh, talking with uh, with Philip today. Uh, he also, uh, in addition to his pastoral work, he serves as an independent data consultant on matters related to religion and demographic trends. Uh, he is the author of the book Immigrant Faith, uh, excellent work that I'd encourage you to, to take a look at, and also another excellent work that he co-authored with with his wife, Candace, entitled, Who is My Neighbor? Uh, it's great to have Philip with us today. So, Philip, I want to welcome you to Strike the Match. It's great to be here, J.D. So, brother, you have a very interesting background. Not only do you have uh, a doctorate, a Ph.D. in sociology, but uh, you also have a background as serving as a missionary in Montreal, Canada. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, very circuitous kind of route. I I did seminary at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary back in the late 90s. And following that, did uh, some church planting, some house church planting among immigrant populations in Montreal. Um, Also served for two years with the North American Mission Board, uh, overseeing the peoplegroups.info website. Uh, And then went to Princeton to do my sociology degree. And following that, went to Pew. Well, you know, uh, the book that you co-authored with your wife, Who Who Is My Neighbor, that's just a fascinating work. I, lo- I love the stories in there. In fact, I, I reference you uh, in my book, Strangers Next Door, because, uh, you know, what you guys were doing among uh, unreached people groups in, in Montreal is something that I hope that more and more people across North America would, would be involved in. Yes, uh, it was a great experience, and we continue to do that work as we are able to uh, with our seven children alongside of us. <laughs> yeah, and so you just recently transitioned to uh, Great Commission Community Church. Uh, when did that happen? That happened on January 1st. Um, had some family changes. As I mentioned, we adopted three children from Columbia and really sought 
an opportunity to search out where the Lord was leading us next in terms of our ministry and uh, felt that um, this was the right time to head back into uh, pastoral ministry. Uh, so it's been a very exciting time to serve the church that I've been a part of as a lay member for the past four years, actually. Now, how many year- years were you with Pew? I started in Pew in 2010 and finished just at the end of last year. So it was about four and a half years. Okay. And uh, I moved into this role, as I said, just in January 1st. Now, on this uh, on this. Uh, report, this study that just came out last week, uh, The Future of World Religions. And, and by the way, uh, I'll, I'll link it to, to my blog site, but it's available online for those of you that are listening. Uh, it's a lengthy report. The PDF is uh, 245 pages, so it is a, it's a lengthy document. Um, Philip, you uh, on this report are listed as a primary researcher on this study, but you're no longer with Pew. That's right. So certainly the things that I share today are not on behalf of Pew in any way. And in fact, I wrote most of those uh, pages uh, along with my colleagues there several months ago. So I will try my best to recall <laughs> statistics as we as we got through them. It's a bit rusty, um, but I can at least give you some some information on some methods and, and, and data that we used Um, and then probably spend most of my time being able to kind of share some missiological thoughts on this, apart from what uh, Pew would would, would publish in their their reports. Certainly. Man, that sounds great. Let's go ahead and jump in uh, and and have some conversation about about this work that just came out. Uh, So so today I'm hoping uh, to talk kind of two areas, Uh, one more demographic uh, and then more uh, one um, missiological. Uh, so let, let's start by talking about the demographic matters, uh, the demography behind this study. H- how was this study conducted? Yeah, so I'll try to recall my best, as I said. Um, it, it was a multi-year uh, project um, and involved a number of different partners, uh, it consulted hundreds of data uh, sources around the world, um, the first thing you need to do is just be able to have a sense as to the religious breakdown of the world as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, country by country, and that just takes a lot of time. Um, and so that that was kind of the first step. And then you need to start figuring out, well, what are the components of future growth? Well, usually there's fertility, so you need to know the fertility rates of every country of the world by the religious groups within those countries. Mm-hmm. You also know that migration has a factor, not on the world as a whole, because no one's moving to Mars right now, but, <laughs> uh, but people are moving within countries, so that changes the composition of those countries. So migration is a factor, and data on religious migration is very rare uh, and very hard to ascertain, so we had to do that in-house. Uh, and then you need um, uh, uh, mortality rates. You also need to uh, have a sense as to the levels of religious switching that people are a conversion that's occurring from one religious group or to no religious group in another. Um, so all those factors take just huge amounts of time and data to get the best estimates possible. I, I, I noticed that when this was released, it, like like many of these major uh, projects that Pew uh, does, uh, it, it immediately got a great deal of, of attention in the media from what I could tell in my small corner uh, of the world. And, and, and one of the things that was 
was being asked very quickly was was dealing with the growth of of the Muslim population in the world. In fact, on the title page, it, 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 the subtitle is uh, "Why Muslims Are Rising Fastest and the Unaffiliated Are Are Shrinking as a Share of the World's Population." Um, the 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 uh, the attention that has come about. Have have you seen this to to be something that that is getting a lot of traction? Just you know, one week after it's being released. Uh, you're probably more on the pulse than I am, uh, JD. <laughs> but um, yeah, as, as far as I can tell, it has has received a, a, a great amount of press uh, coverage. Um, I, I follow CNN as kind of my principal news source, and within two hours of being released, it was on their headlines. And so I think that's a good indicator. Um, and, and and rightfully, it, it should be. I mean, as you've mentioned, Pew does wonderful work, and their um, employees are uh, you know, take the greatest care to provide the best estimates possible. Um, but at the, at the same time, um, there have been, you know, a few attempts to do this, uh, type of project to estimate the future of religion, but not to the level of detail that went into this particular project. This and, is and, really a, a first in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kind of on that note, I, I'm, I'm curious about the limitations of such research. Um, you know, how, how accurate can we predict growth out to the year of 2050? Yeah. Well, it is dependent on, uh, on a lot of, a lot of factors. So there, there's a lot of period events that we can't predict in the mm-hmm. future. Right. Right. Um, we, we can't, this is, this is crystal ball in, in many ways sure. of, of, of sizing things up, but, but it does rely on what kind of current trends or most recent trends are existing. Um, so, so for example, it, it's, it's well known, um, among at least demographic circles, that in the Western world, to an extent, um, people are having less children than they did one generation ago. Right. Even. And we don't expect this to dramatically change. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in any event, it will probably go even further uh, to have lower fertility. Um, but in the majority world, there also seems to be a decline, but not quite as rapid. And so these are kind of arches, if you will, or trajectories that you can kind of put into models for future population growth throughout the world. And will the estimates be right on in terms of population sizes that, um, for example, the United Nations put out year after year? Uh, Hard to say, but um, they have uh, shown to be correct in previous generations to an extent, barring any kind of world event mm-hmm. that could, could could change things were a very specific country event right um so fertility for example is one of the main drivers okay and yeah i was uh, going to ask you about the main drivers that are yeah fertility is one of the main drivers and and it's uh it's not something that changes typically huge very quickly um sometimes you have a big generational change uh from one generation to the next the number of children that they have but mm-hmm. usually it's it, it moderates and so um, will the decline or you know in fertility around the world um, be as fast as what's projected or, or not? Hard to say. But at least I think that what can be said is that uh, with, with that limitation in mind, uh, the, the trajectory of the world's size of the populations, barring no kind of world event, um, will probably go down the, the direction that is presented in this report. Mm-hmm. The numbers themselves may not be completely accurate come 2050, sure. but, the, gener- but the, the general gist of the rising population of Muslims, um, the lowering of the, unaffiliated, or lowering of the unaffiliated population, most likely will be true. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, so, so let me let me switch gears. Let me move into kind of conversations around around missiology. Um, so, I'll just I know in this report there is uh, this excellent delineation uh, between um, like you know, regions of the world as well as within the United States. And so, so maybe we'll, we'll start talking about kind of the United States. Sure. Uh, majority of people listening, obviously, you know, from here in this country. Uh, so, so in this study, some of the some of the numbers, uh, some of the, the statements that that are made. Um, between 2010 2050 uh, the United, in the United States Christians are expected to decline uh, from 76% of the population to 66% of the population uh, the unaffiliated the religiously unaffiliated are expected to increase uh, from 16% of the population to 26% of the population uh, between 2010 2050 the Muslim population will outnumber Jews in this country and the Hindu population in the United States will, will double. I guess my question to you, um, and there are many other facts and statements that are, that are made in this work, uh, when, when evangelical leaders hear such stats, hear such statements, um, what, should, what should we be thinking, um, and how should we prepare our churches uh, or our, our seminary students, uh, or even maybe we're part of North American mission agencies? I mean, what, what should we be thinking? How should we prepare for the future uh, in light of what we're, we're hearing, reading about in this report? Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, kind of the one unifying, unifying principle uh, through all those stats that you just listed, uh, these anticipated future trends, <clears throat> again, barring no other kind of circumstances, just based on the data alone, mm-hmm. uh, is that um, we can no longer take for granted that people have a church background anymore mm. um, on, on two levels. <clears throat> As you say, uh, the projected size of the Christian population in the United States is expected to decline. I mean, and that's a factor by the increase of two other groups, which is the religiously unaffiliated and non-Christian groups like Hindus and Muslims. Um, and so uh, as new migration comes into the United States, it's going, it is coming increasingly from places that actually are not Christian-based. And that's, right. and that's actually quite different than our previous migration waves, mm-hmm. uh, even the most recent one of the huge amount of people coming from Latin America, which was largely Christian, either Protestant or Catholic. Right. And so, uh, so that's new. So you know, that gives now, uh, of course, a, an even greater opportunity uh, as has been already seized in, in some respects by evangelical leaders to reach out to unreached uh, populations mm-hmm. within the United States. Um, but we can't assume, of course, there's any church background with those with those folks. And so that does have us to rethink our, our toolkit for the neighbors that live beside us. Um, and then on the unaffiliated uh, group, um, you know, when I was in seminary in the late 90s, uh, Everyone was talking about spirituality and the new postmodernism, and mm-hmm. you know, and and that this was the new age of people, maybe not necessarily identifying who God was in a kind of an agnostic sense, but very very open to spirituality and spiritual things. Mm-hmm. When we say that the when 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 it's said that the rise of the unaffiliated will most likely occur based on previous trends, um, we aren't really it isn't really said what. You know, are those people really still religious? Are they really still spiritual mm-hmm. or just plain atheist? It's hard to kind of know for sure. But 
it, it does seem that the conversation that you have for uh, to share Christ um, does need to change. Um, probably not one that was like that Mars Hill conversation that Paul had, where he could kind of reference a background of spirituality mm-hmm. to the Athenians. Right. Um, but something where there's kind of you know void of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some ways, perhaps a couple generations out, um, similar to what um, the place that we were uh, as an evangelical body in, in China, where there was just kind of even the memory mm-hmm. of, 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 of spirituality was, was pretty much erased. Yeah, if you... So, yeah, just, sorry, go ahead. I mean, keep in mind as we move forward, yeah. You, you know, if, if we look at, like right now, the, the, the estimated percentage of evangelicals in the United States, um, that, that's approximately the same percent that by 2050 the unaffiliated will have achieved, mm-hmm. moving from 16% to 26%, I think evangelicals around 28%, something like that, from mm-hmm. I think a Barna, Barna made that statement. But, um, but I mean, but we're looking at, I mean, that's a, that's a sizable increase, and that, that's a, that brings with it a, a sizable amount of influence living out a worldview that uh, obviously would not be uh, probably geared toward a kingdom ethic. Sure, and uh, and and the and the assumptions of engaging that population for the gospel are, are just going to be totally different than what we've ever really done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's really I think the the, the cusp of what, uh, for example, we can probably be looking of um, examples of best practices that are occurring among unaffiliated populations in Canada mm-hmm. or Western Europe who have kind of come, been going through this change yes. already. Um, that's probably the place to look um, where you know successes have been um, <clears throat> in being able to, to train. So, um, so let, that's a great point because uh, I wanted to ask you about Europe. Um, in, in the report, obviously, uh, the Western European, or well, the European context in general, uh, is is discussed, and and I know we have we have listeners that are that are from European countries. Uh, you know, the, the the statement made in this report is that Europe's Christian population is expected to decrease decrease by one hundred million people. And the Hindu population in Europe is expected to double. Uh, the Muslim population by 2050 is expected to hit 10% of the European population. And the unaffiliated will reach about 25% or a quarter of the population. Uh, you know, for our European listeners, I mean, I mean, you know, how should they be thinking? How should they be, be responding in light of this possible reality? Yeah. Again, as in the U.S., this is driven by migration of non-Christian groups, and then those that may have had a Christian heritage kind of decoupling from. Mm-hmm. from uh, and so um, it, it, it should not necessarily come as a shock or alarming because uh, immigrants, particularly Muslims in Europe, on average have more children right. than the um, non-Muslim population. Mm-hmm. And at the same time... Um, you have a greater number of people that, although in practice, may not really follow Christ or be very much part of a Christian church, mm-hmm. and still state themselves as Christian, but as each generation goes by, a greater number just completely disassociate themselves from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, it, it shouldn't be uh, 
uh, too shocking. I think, um, I think in some ways it is similar to what I expressed already in the, in the United States in that, um, uh, Europe kind of enjoyed for a, for a while, kind of a, a Christian, right. uh, centric, um, worldview and also just, um, uh, you know, a great majority, uh, and diversity was not really ever part of the situation there. Mm-hmm. And and now um, they are faced with both migratory diversity, but then also value diversity, right? So certainly the values of which um, uh, even uh, Christians, committed Christians within Europe, may have vis-a-vis the unaffiliated can can create tension. Mm-hmm. Um, almost equal to the effect of value differences differences that might be amongst Muslim populations and um, and and Christians and or unaffiliated. And so uh, I, I, I think that we'll probably see this can you see this played out uh, in the in the years ahead. In terms of uh, you know pastors and mission agencies and, and, and groups looking to um, expand the gospel, expand the kingdom in that part of the world, um, certainly it appears that, um, that the fire exists among the immigrant population mm. and, uh, and among so, those that are believers as, after they, as they migrate or after they as migrate, they migrate yeah. uh, from Africa, from Latin America and so forth. And, uh, and in fact, many churches, uh, immigrant churches see themselves as kind of returning back to their colonial forefathers mm-hmm. uh, as, as sent by God. And, uh, I mean, I think this is this is the area of opportunity um, for the church to be able to uh, uh, to to see um, a population that was largely Christian, maybe not practicing or unaffiliated, to to come back to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so the mission agency leaders that are listening. Uh, out there, those that are connected to uh, those organizations that are primarily focused on majority world contexts, mm-hmm. um, you know, what do they need to be thinking about? I mean, in, the, in this report, uh, the the estimation is that four out of every ten Christians in the world uh, will be living in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, the global, this is fascinating, uh, the global number of Muslims will nearly equal the number of Christians, uh, though the Buddhist population is expected to to pretty much remain the same, uh, the global unaffiliated will will decline in population. You, you know, for for the agency leaders that are out there, for the for the mission organizational leaders that's out there working primarily in, in majority world contexts, uh, you know, what does what does this report have to say to them? Where what, what do they need to think about? Yeah. So unlike what I said about the United States and Western Europe, yeah. the majority world is far more religious and will become more religious. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's really kind of... Too, and when you say religious, not just Christian, right? Not just Christian, of course, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a greater number of Muslims, greater number of Hindus, Buddhists are going to kind of stay the same. Mm-hmm. But the fact that China's population is continuing to shrink where the bulk of the uh, world's unaffiliated live, um, meaning as the, as, as, as the world as a whole, kind of outside of the Western world, um, it will be more religious. Mm-hmm. And, and because of the sheer size of the world's population in that part of the world, that's the kind of the non-West, uh, that means the world as a whole will be more religious as we, as we move along in decades ahead. Um, a, a couple of things come to mind, uh, J.D. The, 
one thing about the data that's underlying this is that the story kind of remains unwritten from uh, a Christ follower's perspective. Um, the, the religious switching data is, is really hard to ascertain mm-hmm, right. in this part of the world. Um, and so when those estimates are put out there, it's really driven by fertility. And so, um, so as a greater number of Muslims around the world, that, that doesn't really account for what God may do. Sure, absolutely. And so um, I think that just kind of shows the awesome responsibility uh, that we have as as leaders within the church to to uh, to go to the to the unreached portions of the world, unreached people groups. Uh, I think also that um, uh, you know human historians have tried to calculate the number of people that have lived in the world since the beginning of time. Um, estimates are somewhere around a hundred billion, uh, and so come twenty fifty, there are estimates of about ten billion people in the world, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, if you think that's like 10% of all people that have ever lived, um, but, but more significant than that, it, it's probably the, the, a golden time in human history in which, um, most likely unless some major world event occurs, um, fertility rates in the world are going to continue to slide, mm-hmm. which means that at some point relatively soon, we'll be hitting a, a peak population size for the world. Uh, and think of total number of people who have lived, um, uh, we will we'll be meeting, reaching, reaching that peak. And so we are in this gold opportunity to share the gospel to the greatest number of people that have ever lived ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of those, if you can think of it that way, with the growth of the religious groups that are mentioned, Muslims and Hindus and among others, it also presents the greatest time when there's probably the greatest number of unreached people that have ever lived. Right. Um, and so this is an opportunity for this generation or one that comes after it or the one that's before my own um, to be able to uh, seize this seize this opportunity in just terms of the, the demographic um, piece. And, and one great thing right now is that people are living longer um, and they are living. Uh, so we're able to not only have uh, more people being born, although at a sliding rate, we also have people living longer that have the ability to actually um, take the gospel into their lives and uh-huh. opportunities. So, um, so this is a really opportunity-filled moment, missiologically speaking. That uh, that, as far as we know from the past, and as far as we can predict for the future, may never exist again. Wow. So, so to kind of summarize before before I let you go, Philip. Um, uh, you know, this is just you know, just uh, you know, fascinating, fascinating study, fascinating report. Again, for those of you that are listening, you know, I'll, I'll link it to my blog post uh, when this podcast goes goes up. Uh, but you can just Google Pew Religious Forum: uh, The Future of World Religions. Uh, you'll be able to find it there. You definitely need to check this out, uh, Philip. Kind of what what I'm hearing you say to kind of kind of pull all this together: uh, issues related to. Uh, the migration of unreached people groups, um, issues related to particularly for those that are leaders within the United States and in the Western European context, uh, church leaders, um, related to being prepared to share the the gospel in in you know in in a, in a rapidly shifting context with those that that don't have that Judeo Christian background, uh, and then. Uh, 
connecting with majority world believers. So, so those three things, keeping an eye on the, the movement of unreached people groups, migration of unreached people groups, uh, realizing that our evangelistic methodologies are probably going to need to make some significant shifts, and then figuring out how do we work as Westerners, uh, work with majority world believers. Are those three big things that, that you're saying we need to keep in mind for the future? Yes, and as we look forward for the next couple of decades, uh, the the missionary force, and we well know this well, as as you mentioned, the four tenths of the Christians in the world will be in sub-Saharan Africa, will not be uh, from the United States and Europe any longer, and uh, that's just an exciting time. Wait, can, can you repeat that? I, say it one more time. Sorry, that the that the missionary force, missionary will, force, cross missionary force that goes globally will no longer be. Uh, according to the way that the the size of religious groups are going, uh-huh. um, will no longer be a Western missionary force. You know, it will be right. one that's based in India and South Korea and Africa and Latin America, going out to the other other ends of the world. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just an exciting time, at least in my view, that um, we get to see the whole world contributing to. Uh, the growth of Christ's kingdom. Uh, you know, awesome to, to see what uh, the Holy Spirit has done through uh, the years of, of those going uh, to preach the gospel and see churches planted. And and I mean, this study and your your commentary on this, uh, Philip, is is just so I think valuable and so helpful to us today uh, to really challenge us not to just keep our heads buried in the sand to ignore uh, these shifting times, but to recognize that that the future of our our organizations, future of our structure that we have in, in in a very Christianized context of the world is, is needing to, to make some shifts and adjustments for the advancement of the gospel among the nations. My guest today on Strike the Match has been Dr. Philip Connor, who is the missions pastor at Great Commission Community Church in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, you can find them online at greatcommissioncc.org. He is the author of Immigrant Faith and co-author of who is my neighbor? Uh, and also, though he is no longer with Pew, he did serve as a primary researcher on the study, The Future of World Religions, Population Growth Projections 2010 to 2050. Philip, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.